Well, thanks for coming back. Appreciate that. That's encouraging. Hey, it's raining outside. I'm sure you've obviously seen that. You know, um, there's a very uh, godly woman in our church who um, constantly reminds me she's a prolific reader. She's one of the most humble people I've met. She's constantly reminding me of the grace that is found in rain. And uh, you think about the rain, but you can get up this morning, you can be like, ah, it's a little cold out, and it's kind of a bit dreary, and it's gray, and it's wet, and you can become a little bit grumpy, or you can choose to acknowledge and understand that it's the very rain sent by the sovereign God that is uh, being used to soften the earth right now. It's being used to feed the soil. It's going to be used, in fact, we'll be really thankful for rain when all the beautiful realities of spring start to burst forth. And without the water, again, the earth is nothing. And in many ways, I'm praying that as the rain is doing that outside, that the grace of God's rain upon, again, this earth right now, would be representative of the grace that we're looking for God to put upon us right now, too. And I'm really praying and asking that God in his grace would be softening soils. I'm praying that God would be feeding and preparing and really um, allowing many people to be ready to burst forth, forth with fruit um, in the days to come. And so when you leave today, and it, maybe it's still raining, we get out there, let's choose not to be grumpy, amen. Let's choose to be grateful for God's grace seen in the physical, but now we're praying for the spiritual as well so much uh, too. So again, um, every time I speak, I just, I just have to take the time to pray to acknowledge uh, what uh, I cannot do. So Father, briefly but um, sincerely, uh, would you reign upon us right now? Would you, with clarity, with such uh, sincerity, sensitivity, with power though, and with such glory, would you cause our eyes to see maybe in a way we haven't seen in a while? Would you cause us, Lord, to um, feel in a way, and by that, Lord, I mean to sense your heart, uh, to grieve for what you grieve over, but also to be so excited for what you are most passionate about. Um, would you also uh, communicate with such efficiency and fruitfulness now um, your word as we seek to uh, deal with, Lord, uh, the single greatest enemy of our pursuit of you, which is uh, sin. So, Lord, in many ways this is serious, but I pray it would also be as only you can create an exciting time of evaluation, of correction, but also, again, of wonderful sanctification. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're in Psalm 19 today. We're going to be looking at um, just a couple of verses at the end of Psalm 19, specifically verses 12 to 14. And again, let me remind you where we're going this weekend. Uh, last evening was um, the, whole, um, the whole theme is the pursuit of Christ. And last evening was we looked at the foundation of the pursuit of Christ, which is again in one of the greatest commandments, these principles in the New Testament of abiding. Uh, it is impossible to be a genuine follower of Christ and not abide. Um, it is impossible to, again, I, don't, I say that categorically because it's just biblically true. It is impossible to pursue Christ apart from abiding in him. So once we're on this path, again, starting with abiding and all that comes with that, but now we see today, again, there's only so much we can cover, but today we're going to see this. What's the greatest hindrance? What's the greatest obstacle? What's the greatest, biblically speaking, enemy to our pursuit of Christ? Why are some of us doing well? Why are some of us not doing so well? Why are some of us fired up? Why are some of us flat out grumpy and miserable within our walk with Christ right now? And I think the single most common answer will be the reality of sin grieving and quenching the work of God's Spirit within our lives. 
Psalm 19 is maybe a text you would not think of when it comes to the doctrine of sin. It has been profound to me for years, and I pray uh, you will see that as well. Again, we often know what comes in the first verses, but notice what's in the um, final verses of this incredible psalm. Uh, Verse 12, David says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Why? That they may not have dominion over me. Why is he so concerned with these progressions of sin? Here's why. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I mean, there's four different times sin is mentioned in some form. I mean, that tells you what this section is about. Then he finishes with this in verse 14. We know it well. Let the words of my mouth, what a great prayer, even for right now. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my um, redeemer. If we want to pursue the Lord with our lives, if we want to see momentum grow in the spirit towards the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the first thing we must see in our text today. Here's the first thing we must acknowledge within our lives is this, loved ones. uh, We must, I must grow wise to the devastation of sin. Number one, I must grow wise uh, to the devastation of sin. Now, when you're in Psalm 19, the Bible here takes a turn that I will have to admit I wasn't expecting. If you understand the context of Psalm 19, you see what happens in the first, in the first initial verses right here, in the first six verses. Um, I'm going to say this. Um, um, the Word of God, the Bible takes us, we're driving down the highway of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's just a, an incredible sequence of being aware of the world book that God has created. And to see, and you're driving down the highway of creation, you see the star-dusted skies, and there's a beautiful sunrise, and when your heart is filled with the Lord, you are sitting there, you're praising God and all his glory. And that's the initial part of Psalm 19. Then we're gonna say this. Then what the uh, author does, David does, he takes us, well, I'm gonna call into the town of the word of God, or the word of Godville. And we get off, and we're driving through this town, and we see in verses seven to 11 that the word of the Lord rejoices the heart. The precepts of the Lord are sure and enlightened the eyes, we see that the word of God is used to revive hearts and revive souls. And so we're going through and we're on the highway of creation. It's so beautiful. We're in the town of the word of God, of the word of Godville. And it's so instructive and it's so encouraging to see what God wants to do. But then we turn into a place again, I would not anticipate. And I'm going to say in verses 12 to 14, the turn that we take is out is out from the town of the word of God. And now I'm going to call, we turn into what, again, I'm going to call the valley of sin. In verses 12 to 14, we find ourselves in a place, again, if you're writing Psalm 19, you just don't expect it to show up. Now, listen carefully. We arrive in the valley of sin, not so God's going to tempt us with sin, obviously, that doesn't happen, but that we can be taught about sin. And we need to be taught about sin so we can grow wise and find maturity again to learn about how dangerous and devastating uh, sin can be. Now why would the Holy Spirit lead David to do this? Because this is what has happened. Here's why. Here's why. You want to make a note of this or here's the thesis again for our message right now. Our big idea, our propositional statement is this. The single greatest hindrance of the power of God through our lives is unchecked sin in our lives. Say it again. The single greatest hindrance of the power of God through our lives is unchecked sin 
in our lives. I mean, you think of Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, Acts chapter 5, and there's the, the, the devastation of sin, quenching and grieving and wrecking uh, the moving of God's spirit within our lives. I mean, it was just, J- just David who listed in verses 7 to 11 in Psalm 19, six attributes of the word of God. Uh, the attributes of God's word and the impact of these attributes. And do you know what sin does? Sin is an enemy of every single one of these attributes. It's sin that fights against revival. It's sin that fights against wisdom in our lives. It's sin that steals our joy. It's sin that fights against purity. It's sin that opposes a a great love for the Lord. It's sin that hates righteousness. So just to recap, sin stinks. Actually, check that. Sin is disgusting. Sin is destructive, and sin is totally devastating. And that's why I believe in verse 12 here, it is where it is. David knows the devastation of sin. David's a wise man filled, again, being led by God's spirit. He wants to expose it. And furthermore, I love the insight right here in verse 12. David writing the psalm, notice again who the subject is, himself. David knows the single greatest person who's most susceptible to the devastation of sin as it pertains to him in his life is himself. You want to know a sign if you're maturing in Jesus Christ? Is when you hear messages like this and you see the subject of sin come up and the first person you think of is not the person beside you, the person you wish you were here. The first person you honestly think of is yourself. That's a sign of maturity, man, because you know when the closer, the more I grow in Christ, in some ways the more discouraged it seems to become because the more sin you seem to uncover in your life. When you first get saved, you're trying not to drink and smoke, whatever it is, and do things you should in certain you know, areas of lust, whatever it is. But now as you grow in Christ, you start to see the inner recesses of the heart and just like Paul's theology of his own sin, at the end he's like, I'm the worst sinner ever. And in some ways, the more we are maturing in Christ, the single greatest person we're most concerned about is ourselves because we want nothing to get in the way of what God will do in us that he might again move through us. How are you doing right now in that regard? Even as we begin this message right now, who's the subject of most importance in terms of change and transformation who God needs to speak to? So what David does in true brilliance led by the Holy Spirit, he explains different categories in terms of the levels of devastating sin. And we're going to walk through this again from point one as we move through this text. Again, when I first saw this, it was so helpful to me. So let's start with this level then, levels of sin, and they get worse as they go, okay? The first level of sin David points out we're going to call hidden sins, okay? Hidden sins. Again, look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent, notice, from hidden faults or hidden sins. What David is saying here is that there are a lot of sins that we are aware of. But there's also a whole whack load of sins that we aren't even conscious of. And what David knows here is because he's not aware of certain sins doesn't excuse excuse him from these sins. So David is a wise man. And because he's a wise man, he comes before God. He says, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I see, but God, forgive me also for the sins that I don't see. Forgive me from the hidden sins of my life. I want nothing to get in the way of the work of your spirit that, again, is within me. So what are we learning here? Sin is sneaky. Sin is subtle. Sin is seductive. Let's just unpack one massive area of sin in our lives with an exercise today, which I pray is gonna be really helpful. Let's take the sin of pride. 
Pride is so utterly devastating because what pride does, pride blinds us to our sin. Pride convinces us we're not the problem, someone else is. In fact, even worse, Paul Tripp says this, pride not only blinds us to our sin, worse, pride blinds us to the fact that we are blind. I pause on that, I want you to think about that. How many situations have I seen you're trying to counsel people and show and expose, and it's amazing to me, there's just no ability at all of self-awareness of any kind, that there might be any remote issue within themselves, and it's so discouraging to deal with an individual who never stops long enough to suggest that I'm the problem. Like me, I'm the problem. It's what G.K. Chesterton, when he answered an article of what was said in the newspaper and the article said, what's wrong with the world? He answered back with two words. In response to the article, what's wrong with the world? Two words he said was, I am. That's maturity. That's awareness. This is what David's doing here right now as well. He's understanding again. Pride blinds us to our sin and it blinds us to the fact that we are blind. You know, sometimes as you go through these things and I find myself in preparing messages like this, you know, you kind of sitting there and you're thinking about sins. You're like, well, yeah, I know the sins of my life, but hidden sins. And, and for a moment there, just a moment, you're kind of like, oh, no, no, I'm pretty good with that. I don't have hidden sins. And then you kind of listen to yourself thinking and, they, and they get it. your flesh and Satan wants to convince you of these things. But you sit long enough and you start to uncover the reality of what happens in your heart. And I had to stand up and literally kind of punch my flesh in the face. Figuratively speaking, of course, I'm not that dumb, all right? So, but you understand, you say, listen out loud, you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, flesh, you need to shut your mouth. You are wrong. You are leading me astray because the reality is there's always things that I need to uncover to understand. I need to be declared innocent from hidden faults. And so do you. Now, when it comes to this area of pride, how about we just go through an exercise right now and see how helpful this is. I have a, a list of um, potential hidden sins in the area of pride. I'm going to read it for us. It's going to take a couple of moments, but I'm praying God is going to use this, and this is going to be really helpful for you just to expose the reality of what we're just being taught right now, okay? So here's a list of, of, of sins related to the area of pride, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit. He might work right now as we do this, okay? So here's some things that could apply to us. Fruits of pride in our lives. Number one, I want to be well-known or important. I am selfishly ambitious. I really want to get ahead and make a name for myself. I want to be someone important in life. I like having a position or title. I far prefer leading to following. Next, I'm sinfully competitive. I'm overly competitive. I always want to win or come out on top, and it bothers me when I don't. I want to impress people. I want people to be impressed with me. I like to make my accomplishments known. Uh, what I look like, my physical appearance, the car I drive, the amount of money I earn, how spiritual I think I am, the things I have accomplished, uh, what I know, uh, where I went to school, and who I know. I want people to be impressed with me. I like to talk about myself. I like to talk about, especially about myself, or persons or things I'm involved with. I want to know what I am doing or thinking. I would rather speak than listen. I have a hard time being succinct. I desire recognition and praise. I desire to receive recognition and credit for what I do. I like people to see what I do and let me know they've noticed. I feel hurt or offended when they don't. I am overly concerned about my reputation and I hate being misunderstood. 
I am not fulfilled in serving others. I'm not very excited about seeing or making others successful. I tend to feel envious, jealous, or critical towards those who are doing well or being honored. I am anxious. I'm often anxious about my life in the future. I tend not to trust God and rarely experience his abiding and transcendent peace in my soul. I have a hard time sleeping at night because of the fearful thoughts and burdens that I carry. I'm self-focused. I'm overly self-conscious. I tend to replay in my mind how I did, what I said, how I came across to others. I'm very concerned about my appearance and what people think of me. I think about these things constantly. Insecure, I often feel insecure. I don't want to try new things or step out into uncomfortable situations because I'm afraid I'll fail or look foolish. I am easily embarrassed. I often compare myself. I compare myself to others. I am performance-oriented. I feel that I have greater worth if I do well. I think we're about halfway done. Is that okay? Just a few more, just a few more. I am self-serving. Remember, remember, this is all in the category of sins that can be hidden in our lives. I'm self-serving. When asked to do something, I find myself asking, how will this help me or will I be inconvenienced? I'm not focused on the needs and interests of others. I tend to be self-righteous. I can think I really have something to offer God. I would never say so, but I think God did well to save me. I seldom think or recognize my total depravity and helplessness apart from God. I regularly focus on the sins of others. I don't credit God for any degree of holiness in my life. I feel deserving. I think I deserve what I have. In fact, I think I ought to have more considering how well I've lived in light of all that I have done. Help us, Lord. Ungrateful. I often feel ungrateful. I tend to grumble about what I have or my lot in life. I am not amazed by grace on a regular basis. I'm captive to self-pity. I find myself wallowing in self-pity. I'm consumed with how I'm treated by God and others. I tend to feel mistreated. I hate being misunderstood. I seldom recognize or sympathize with what's going on with others around me because I feel that I have it worse than they do. I can be jealous or envious of others' abilities, possessions, positions, accomplishments, or friends. I want to be what others are and want to have what others have. I think I deserve or should have the good things other people do. I find it hard to rejoice when others are blessed by God. Just two more. I have a know-it-all attitude. I am impressed by my own knowledge and understanding of things. I feel like there isn't much I can learn from other people, especially those less mature than me. I interrupt people regularly. I don't let people finish what they are saying. I listen to teaching with other people in mind. I constantly think of those folks who need to hear and apply this teaching and wish they were here right now to hear this list of sin that doesn't pertain to me. (laughs) Now, what just happened there? I suggest to you, every time I've read that list in a setting like this, here's what I suggest has happened to you. There are many areas of sinful tendencies, desires, actions, thoughtful, that we have not been aware of in a while. And the moment that list is read, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, in love, in love. But he's like, um, might want to think about that one. And you might want to consider how that's impacting our relationship. And so what I'm suggesting to you, if we live our lives and we're not having the process of having God's word renew our minds and expose and show the realities of things, how much of God's power could we be blocking and quenching and grieving without being totally conscious of what's happening? I'm telling you, remember, sin blinds us to our sin and blinds us to our blindness. 
And so this process, David's a very, very smart man. He's like, I have to grow wise to the devastation of sin. God, you must save me and, and, and forgive me of the sins that I see and the sins that I don't see as well. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And what happens? The more we are aware of how we have offended God, then the more we grieve over our own sin and the more we can understand how much God has done for us. It just really reminds me again, uh, Luke 7 and that story of the sinful woman and she's there weeping at the feet of Jesus. She is pouring herself out and Simon the Pharisee looks upon in disdain and Jesus gives that parable of saying, listen, he or she who's been forgiven much loves much. The more we understand what we've been saved from, the more love we have for God who has saved us from our own utter depravity and total, again, self-uselessness. That's the gospel being applied to say, who am I that I can know and be such things? And that's why this process is so critical in the pursuit of Christ. How many are so held back because we never do this, what we're doing right now. So David lists hidden sins, and now the next level, though, he goes to in this kind of small doctrine of sin is this presumptuous sins. Look at, look at verse 13 now. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. I'm not, I'm not making that phrase up. It's right there in the Bible. So what's the difference between hidden sins and presumptuous sins? Presumptuous sins are this. They're sins that we do with knowledge and pride. I read this in, in, in um, relation to this text. Um, here are things that make sins presumptuous. When we sin presumptuously in our lives, here's what we can say. Um, we just know better. We know better. We, we know for a fact that what we're about to do is sinful, but we do it anyways. That's a, that's a presumptuous sin. Um, sins that friends have warned us about um, in our lives or in our past. Friends come up and love and say, hey, listen, man, that sin you're about to do, listen, what you, that, 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 that action, that, that is definitely not God's will. That is not gonna go well. And as we've heard it, and yet we sin anyways, that's a presumptuous sin. A sins that God has warned us about. God in his word and just has forbidden certain actions that are so clear and we know it's true, but we rationalize and we sin anyways. That's a presumptuous sin. Sins that in the past we have warned others about. We have come alongside a friend and said, dude, man, that, that stuff you're looking at on the internet, man, that's gonna kill, it's gonna hurt. And then we find ourselves later on, we are doing the very thing that we have in love warned others about, presumptuous sins. A presumptuous sin, it comes down to this, when we plan and relish how to sin more. We take the time to organize our lives in a pattern of sinful planning and relishing uh, these sins. Those are presumptuous sins. Willful, arrogant actions against God and his will and presumptuous sins will devastate the flow of God's power in our lives. One thing, if we sin in ignorance, it's a whole other thing. If we sin before God, we know exactly what we're doing and we choose to do it anyways. That's what David is saying right here. And of course, David himself should know. In David, one of the most significant turning points of his life for the negative with his sin with Bathsheba. The Bible says, in the, in the time when kings go to war, David stayed at home and sat on his roof. 
And you're like, kings go to war, David should be out in war, and now he's sitting at home instead being idle. And he's on his roof, and he sees this beautiful woman Bathsheba bathing, and he knows for a fact, he knows absolutely the thoughts and desires of his heart for her at that moment are absolutely sinful, and he should not do that. But what he does, though, he looks at Bathsheba, he sees her bathing, and he decides in his heart and mind, I want her, I'm going to fulfill my sinful desire. And so he does. He lays with Bathsheba, she gets pregnant, of course, and this sin leads to more sin because in his presumptuous sins, now I've got to cover up my original sin. This is what always happens with sin as well. When it's left unchecked, it creates more sins. And then, so, of course, it leads to the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and David and all his horrific leadership in that time. And there he is sinning presumptuously again and how devastating this becomes. And notice, this is an event in David's life as he presumptuously approaches sin and the, and the havoc that it wreaks within his life. In some ways, David would never recover from this. He would be forgiven, absolutely, amen. But there were consequences in his life that in some ways it would never be the same again. So much grace, so much forgiveness, God can cover all of that, and he does. But in reality, we all know in the story, again, there's a part of David that would not be the same because of the consequences of presumptuous sin. And so you think David really knows what he's saying here and the wisdom that he's been given is saying, Lord, keep me back from presumptuous keep your servant back no wonder jesus taught us to pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil so listen it's a it's a big deal when we know full well that sexual immorality is evil but we do it anyways like that's a big deal It's a big deal to the Lord. It's a big deal when we know the full evil of gossip and the tearing down of another individual which is not rooted in any sense of truth, but we do it anyways to make ourselves feel better. That's a big deal to the Lord. It's a big deal when you know full well you're breaking the law and greed. Uh, It's tax season right now. Breaking, you're being dishonest about a tax rate, you, 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 you totally know what you're doing and you do it anyways because you're trusting in self, not God, and moving in greed. That's a presumptuous sin. It's a big deal when we move towards a form of idolatry and we know what it is and we choose to worship at that altar as opposed to the Lord. It's a big deal. Because what's really the greatest danger with sins like lust and pride and greed and idolatry? The greatest danger with these type of sins, if they are not checked and repented of, they will start to become our prison. They start to rule our lives and determine our direction. You see, where are you getting that from? God's word. Look at verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Notice the progression here. Let them not have dominion over me. That's the third level of of, of sins now, okay? Hidden sins, presumptuous sins, now enslaving sins. Enslaving sins. The word dominion there means to control, to rule, to reign. Really, it means domination. Isn't it fascinating how clearly David sees the doctrine of sin? He's like, God, please um, forgive me from hidden sins. Oh, keep me back from presumptuous sins because if I sin presumptuously, if I'm not careful, these sins will enslave me. These sins will dominate my life. And let's remember, sin always aims at the highest possible form of devastation, right? If sin is left unchecked, it's like a weed. I hate weeds so much, man. It's the one bad part about springtime. Here come the weeds, all right? If sin is left unchecked, it'll just grow and grow and grow and grow. 
Uh, Think of the sin of, of lust. Lust left unchecked, if it's allowed to run free, it will turn into, again, full blown adultery. Or, pos- or prostitution, whatever it is. If lust is allowed to grow and grow and grow, it will not stop until it's entirely satisfied with the highest degree of sin. Unbelief, the sin of unbelief, if it's allowed to grow, if it's left unchecked, it will go into full-blown atheism. It will not rest satisfied at the first or second level. Jealousy, if jealousy is allowed to expand to its highest evil, jealousy will lead to murder. And that's been proven over the course of human history, over and over and over again. This is how serious the levels of sin are within our lives that we must be so aware of. See, sin is so awful because if allowed, it imprisons us. It enslaves us if allowed. I mean, just notice, again, every iota, every dot in God's word. Notice the exclamation mark at the end of verse 13. I mean, it's there by the Holy Spirit. This is serious. Put there by the Holy Spirit. Love and listen, listen, listen. Some of us right now in this room, you are playing the game of pornography. That's just the stats, man. Could be men and women. You have to understand, you are not playing a game. You are, you are allowing your heart and soul to enter into a prison of death. This is not, oh, it's just a fun thing I'll do for a little bit. You are, you are giving over yourself to a prison of lust that in the end Satan wants to use to absolutely destroy you. Destroy your heart, ruin your future marriage, destroy your current marriage, destroy your relationship with your kids, take away any sense of fruitfulness and leadership and Christian maturity. I mean, that's what's happening right now. It wants to own you completely. Drunkenness, addictions. It's not just a fun thing to do with some friends you can feel a little buzz on a weekend. I mean, that is a level of sin when left unchecked. It will imprison your heart and ruin all your joy and affections. That's what's happening. It's not a game. It's not a game. It's not a game. Uh, The love of money. You are obsessed with money. If you let that grow and get out of control, that will take over your heart. Take over again your love. Take over your desires for Jesus. Take over your ambition. Take over your direction and cause you to be pursuing a path that in the end will own you, imprison you, and empty you of any real true fulfillment or meaning. You see, why are you so serious about this, Rob? Because the word of God's so serious about this. Because David here in this brilliant text is showing us, man, this, this is what's at stake. And this is what is needed for us to hear right now. And so, if you're like me, man, the Lord is revealing again just how devastating sin really is. And you're like, Lord, this is, this is such a big deal. Now, the theological tightrope I'm walking, I just want to speak on very briefly. You say, well, I thought in Christ, like if I'm saved in Christ, all my sins are forgiven. They are 100% justification. All your sins nailed to the cross, man. You have a position before God Wilson will never be changed. But there's this other thing in our walk with Christ called sanctification. And sanctification is our present battle with sin in our lives and putting on the new and putting off the old and seeing the old self again, again crucified in the flesh and yet we're growing in Christ. And so, yes, fully forgiven, justified in the sight of God, but that must lead to the process of sanctification that we no longer grieve the Spirit of God or quench his work within our lives. That's what we're talking about from a New Testament perspective right now. And that is why repentance is such an important thing as salvation, again, conversion begins, but ongoing in the Christian life as well. 
that we must confess our sins, but God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is why in mind, I love garbage day. Like I really do, like at home, like, like, like physically, practically, literally, I love garbage day. I'm like, I'm really weird, all right? And maybe you've already noticed that, but like there's certain metaphors in life that I love because I just find them so spiritual. Like one of them in springtime is taking out this, the weed in the garden, destroying the weed, like plucking it with every inch in that root, holding it up and showing my kids, see kids, this is the devastation of sin right here. And this is what we do with it. We pluck it out and we replace it with good soul because that's the goal of the life in the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And garbage day is another opportunity. I mean, the satisfaction of taking out the trash and all its filth and its stinks, whatever, and putting it on the curb and then good riddance. And you walk away and you're like, yeah, it feels so good. You're purging, you're getting rid of it. But ultimately, why, why? Because in my life, when I take out the trash through repentance and you get rid of sin and the things that are holding you back and you open up the pipe, the flow of God's spirit in your life and you feel the sense of joy and the freedom and the clear conscience and the cleansing. There's nothing like it. Amen, church? There's nothing like it. And that's why repentance is so key and confession of sins to say, I want to be a vessel of honorable use, not dishonorable. Second Timothy 2. This is the opportunity. That's why this message right now, if we're going to pursue Christ, is so important. Right now, in many ways, this is garbage day right now. By God's grace. God, help us to see this and help us to believe this. Help us to be so aware, again, the seriousness of the progression of sin. I want to put up um, um, a chart for you on the screen here. I want you to see right now, just so we can be aware of the reality of how sin starts small and grows like that weed into this thing that starts to take over our lives. Just let me go through this a bit slowly, but I just want you to be aware of this, okay? Notice the progression of sin, again, outlined within our text on some level. Passing temptation becomes a chosen thought. A chosen thought moves towards an object of meditation. Okay, so just think of a sin in your life right now that is most pertinent. The object of meditation, I start to wish for, I want to fulfill that within my life. When you start to wish for fulfillment, you start to plan on how you can sin in this way. Once we have a plan, if unchecked, we repeat that plan of sin. Once we repeat that plan, we start to delight in that pattern of sin. When we delight in it, it becomes a habit. Habit leads to idolatry. Once it becomes idolatry in lives, it demands to be served, spiritual reality. Idolatry then leads to sacrifice. We start to sacrifice our lives in the idolatry of that sin. And then, worst case scenario, the sacrifice of our lives and sin leads to being enslaved entirely towards it. Let's again, like let's take one of the most prominent sins in our day, Lost pornography. Like, when you put that in this progression, you're like, oh yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And see, we don't really, we don't really look at this and understand where we are and what, what is actually happening. And this is the last thing Satan wants you to hear right now because he doesn't want you to be aware of any of this. But the Holy Spirit says, listen, listen, this is the progression. This is what's happening. This is what I want to save you from. So what David does, he cries out. Like he cries out at the end of verse 13. Notice he says, then I shall be blameless. God, declare me innocent. Keep your servant back. Let them not enslave me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great 
transgression. But how, how? Only with the Lord and only by his grace, loved ones, we must grow wise to the devastation of sin. But now what happens in God's word, which I love so much, now we turn the corner of the hard news towards, I'm not, it's not bad news what we just went through because it's, it's, it's really, really important news. It's hard, but it's not bad. But now we turn the corner of how do we see victory over these things in our lives. This takes us to point number two now. Um, I must be convinced now of the power of surrender. The power of surrender. Oh Lord, would you bring that here today? Look at verse 14, the first part. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. It says, David, in the, one of the most well-known verses, he calls out in humble surrender. Hey, hey, right, right, right now, church, church, we're learning we're learning in the pursuit of Christ how we fight for victory over sin within our lives. You know what David's saying? He's like, Lord, take my lips and take my heart. Now those things are so connected. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart and the mouth so connected. Again, the heart leads, again, the foundation where we are and then what we do with our lives. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my affections, I give you my desire. Like the hymn says, take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated, O Lord, to thee. So true, so good. And David, notice David says, may they be acceptable in your sight. See the word Acceptable. In the Hebrew, that's a language of sacrifice. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable, a sacrifice to you. It reminds me of Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I surrender to you. I put myself on the altar. My life for you. Think of the sacrifice God loves. David himself in Psalm 51. The sacrifices, listen, listen, listen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. See what God wants? See what God longs for? God longs for a sacrifice of brokenness, of contrition in heart and spirit. That is, again, what the Lord loves the most. That's the power of surrender. Do you see who God uses? God uses the broken. God uses the humble. God uses the surrendered. For some of us right now, man, we're here. We've been brought to this conference at this point right now, and the Lord is saying to us, listen, you got to stop trying so hard in your own strength. you got to stop pretending you have it all together. Do you know how many, I'll, I'll speak to men for a second. Do you know how many men I've encountered in the past? They're just, there's an unwillingness to truly um, surrender and give up on pride because they feel like they have to have everything right all the time. Women can be the exact same way, but it's amazing if you'd only give up if you'd only just admit that you need help, if you'd only just admit what everyone else around you wants so much for you to do, just stop pretending to have it all together. Just admit to the Lord that you need his grace. How many, it grieves me so much, how many men are unwilling to bow their knee at the altar because they're afraid people will think they're weak at the very thing you're giving up is God's strength. And God's grace and blessing because he fills the broken and the humble. He gives grace to those who admit they can't. But man after man and woman after woman walks proudly around. I got it together. And you're forfeiting so much blessing. Breaks my heart so dumb. So proud. It's stupid. 
and it kills us. Who's that for right now? You're the first time in your life you're finally being called out in love to be like, how long are you going to get to the end of your life continuing to walk in pride and never ask for forgiveness from your wife? Never admit weakness to your... Really? That is so depressing to me if that's the truth. Don't we understand the greatest place of freedom and to see the living water flow through our lives is brokenness. It's, it's one of the foremost fundamental principles of God and who he operates within. You cannot argue with me about this if you have an open Bible. It is irrefutable based on the work and the will of God. This has always been and always will be the greatest people that God chooses to work through. Those who know how much they need him and they act it, they live it out in surrender, surrender and there they find so much freedom. Oh, God, may it be so. Holy Spirit, would you bring that here today? As only you can. I can't make it happen. He can. He can. The willing heart. The heart that believes right now you're not being condemned. The heart right now believes you're being invited to life. And you're being invited by love. So what's our response to this? Point number three, we end with this. Obviously now, I must run to my Redeemer then. And, and, and loved ones, we're all in some form or another. We're invited right now to put our sin behind and run to our Redeemer. Look at how this text ends. Isn't God's word amazing, by the way? Like you come to Psalm 19, and you kind of know the verses, all of a sudden here you see a, a doctrine of sin being unpacked. So cool, isn't it? Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock. Here's how David ends. I mean, this is so of God. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word redeemer, um, literally kinsman redeemer, defined as a male relative that delivers or rescues. A family member in the saving interest of a relative. Amazing. David is saying when he uses this term, I belong to you, O Lord, for you rescued me from myself. You brought me out of slavery. You rescued me from bankruptcy. You delivered me from darkness. I was an orphan, you became my father. In my weakness, you became my strength. In my sin, you became my savior. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And just think as we apply that to as new covenant children living in the age of grace and the glory of the New Testament truth of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Just think about that. In our sin, Jesus takes it that we may not die. Jesus carries our guilt that we may not be punished. Jesus assumes our unrighteousness and God's wrath that we are now spared. Jesus accepts our transgression and iniquity, sparing us hell and opening us up to heaven. He buys our slavery. He takes off our filthy clothes. He sets us free. He gives us white robes of righteousness. What a savior. What a redeemer. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen, for those who have faith. See the invitation right now? Wonder who's here today. And if truth be told, you are weighed down with sin. Beaten up with guilt. Sin is wrecking our life. But today we are compelled to repentance. And we're starting to believe it's out of grace and love from the Lord. What do we do? We confess our hidden sins. We, we repent of our presumptuous sins. We hate enslaving sins. And listen, we run to our Redeemer.
Remember, remember, as you, as you come to the conclusion of this text right here, you have to see the Father extending himself to you with open arms. He's not doing this. He's not ready to whack you with a ruler. His arms are open. He's like, my child, turn from your sin and run to me, and I will pour grace and forgiveness upon you. No one will be turned away. Will you not receive and accept the love that I give to you that your life might once again be on a path of fruitfulness and blessing and the pursuit of my son, Jesus Christ. That's the opportunity. That's why we're here right now. Listen, if we're going to pursue Christ, the greatest enemy is sin. But Jesus Christ died to cover all of that. And we access that grace again by faith. We receive the gift. We receive forgiveness. We run to him And it's amazing what he might do. So I'm going to ask us to be still right now. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. I'm going to ask us just so you can put your Bibles quietly away. And let's just take a moment. Like this is a a very important moment. Worship team, if you guys want to come up, you can. But loved ones, let's just, again, let's just be still before the Lord right now. We're here. Let's try to make this moment count, Okay. Um, what do I need to say to God? And what is the Lord saying to me? I don't want to rush this. Um, There's people right now doing business with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. Things have been shown to you and me and now's the time to take out the trash. Now's the time to run to our Redeemer. Now's the time to believe in His inexhaustible grace, mercy, and love. So I pray, I pray today that it would be a turning point for you in your life. Hidden sins, presumptuous sins, enslaving sins. God, speak to every one of us. Lord, I pray you would use this song, this, this song we're going to, a church, sing over you. You can sing this song. It's, like, it's the perfect response to a message like this today. Use it as ministry. Um, don't worry about the person beside you right now. Just your heart, my heart before God, no one else. Let's not let sin blind us to our own reality. And so as this song is sung over you, um, you respond as you are led to. Maybe you're going to um, kneel where you are, if that's possible. Maybe you're going to uh, cup your hands as a sense of, Lord, would you uh, fill my life? Would you? Maybe you're going to bow your head so low, just as an, a physical act of contrition. Maybe you'll be led to come up to the front and kneel at the altar because you don't care what anyone says or thinks or sees. You don't care about that. You care about the Lord. Maybe you'll be invited by God's Spirit to come pray at the front and shed tears of of joy over your forgiveness again. As, As you are led to respond, take advantage of this moment and don't let this time pass. Again, the Word of God says, today if you hear His voice, do not do not harden your heart. You're here right now, we're here right now. God, use it. Lord, would you use it? And I pray you already are using it. We pray for spiritual breakthroughs 
resulting in incredible joy and glory to Jesus Christ. So again, as we sing this song over you, kneel, sit, stand, come to the altar, pray, bow, whatever you want to do. But I just I encourage you, if the Spirit of God is leading you, do not resist Him. Do not quench Him. Follow Him and see where God takes us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this grace. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for speaking to us, knowing what we need to hear. Lead us now in response. In Jesus' name, amen.